We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. Somebody, come on, somebody. Come on, you can do better than that. What did Jesus do in this past year? We had 40 people make a commitment. I got to come up here with y'all. 40 people made a commitment to follow Jesus this past year. Come on, that ain't nothing. We had babies dedicated. We've got two more coming in October that we're going to dedicate. Come on, somebody. Hey, I've watched people get set free from addictions this past year. I've watched people get their lives together this past year. And I don't care what the enemy would try to tell me. I know what God is going to do next. Somebody say next. 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 Hey, I just came back from a road trip. It wasn't really a road trip. It was a plane trip. But Liz and I went to Christian Alliance for Orphan Summit in Marietta, Georgia. Weird because it was like coming home. I lived in Kennesaw, Georgia for about a year. And uh, it was crazy. Do you guys like road trips? We had a debate, Liz and I. Road trip, plane trip. Road trip or plane trip? What's your choice? Shout it out. Plane. Come on, my plane people. That's me. That's me. I don't want to drive. If I could sit in a plane for two hours and not be in a car for 10 hours, that's me. Why? Because I can get up and go to the daggone bathroom whenever I would like to in a plane. Okay, I like that somebody brings me a snack. That's a blessing. People bringing you snacks is a blessing. Can I get an amen? Snacks are a blessing, right? Man, I'm telling you, road trips are crazy. And you know what it's like you, you, to go on a road trip. They can be fun. You got your plan. You got your destination. And how many of you go to the store beforehand and you get the snacks? The snacks and the drinks. And you're ready. You got your playlist. You know how many miles. You got your friends. And it's on, right? Road trips can be absolutely amazing. However, it's not like the movies. Because then you have other road trips. Did anybody have an RV in their family growing up? Okay, we had one. And we had a road trip as a family. This thing had mustard color shag carpet. On the inside of this thing, she was hot. She was amazing. Except for there was five of us on this trip. I have two older brothers and an older sister. My eldest brother had been out of the house for a while, but my mom and dad took us to Florida in the RV. Fighting over that tiny bathroom for weeks on end. Man, that wasn't exactly an ideal road trip, or maybe you think about a trip that you went on in a church van as a youth group. (laughs) I led these things. What was I thinking? I can tell you, though, that there is nothing better than a van full of middle school boys. I know it sounds crazy, but those are my folks. The fart jokes alone are phenomenal. They never stop laughing, and they're still super awkward, especially when it comes to girls. And on, in my experience as a youth pastor, I separated our folks. Boys had one van, and girls had another van. Because we don't purple, okay? 
no purple. No purple on youth trips. But these kids had the most awkward snack choices ever. Okay, I had some weird ones. And one of my weird ones was Liz. Okay, yes, our kids director. Weirdest snack ever. I am driving the van, the girl van. I believe Kyle Boyce is driving the boy van on our way to Pittsburgh to serve inner city missions, okay? So you're like praying, mentally preparing yourself, getting ready for what God is going to do through your ministry in Pittsburgh. And I smell something coming from the back of the van. And I thought, dear God, somebody has died. It smelled awful and acidic and gross. And I said, my God, it was a prayer. My God, what is that? And I hear from the back, it's pickled sausage. You want one? Nope. nope. Sure don't want no daggone pickled sausage. And can you please put the lid back on that thing? And don't pass it anymore, girl. What's wrong with you pickled sausage? That is not a proper road trip snack, okay? A proper road trip snack is combos. Can I get a, can I get a, uh, uh. Or how about some bugles? with a Coke, or better, a slushy Coke, okay? Slushy Cokes are life. Maybe when you think about road trip, you think about a guy's weekend or a girl's weekend where you all go out and have a blast at your favorite spot, but no matter how you get there, even if the circumstances aren't uh, great and it's not like Hollywood, there's just something about a road trip. There's just something that is just so fun and it feels so exciting. But then there's the other side to road trips. It might start out exciting. Something always happens along the way that you don't seem to expect, right? Something unexpected happens. Sometimes it's just as simple as discovering a cool new place. Anybody seen the world's largest rubber band ball? Maybe? No? I understand because I wouldn't stop for that either. Or maybe... You learn something new about the person you're with. And I don't know if you know this about Liz, and I didn't until this trip, because normally she's a pretty quiet person. In the office, she's a very hard worker. She doesn't talk much. That girl talks on a road trip, okay? I think I might have said five sentences the whole time. But I know everything about her mama and her great uncles and where they came from and apparently the moonshine they were running, okay? I didn't know. But that is what happens. I learned so much about Liz. Or maybe it was running out of gas for you or getting a flat tire again for you. But something unexpected happens when we're on road trips. No matter how you view road trips, one thing is for sure. Road trips are an absolute adventure, aren't they? And our adventure often involves change. And even though road trips can offer a change of scenery, sometimes they can even change how we see things. In Pittsburgh, my, my life was changed by a little boy who came every day and got food. We did art with the kids. And it was the first time he had ever discovered art. And this kid was so encouraging. I spent a lot of time with this little boy. And I remember we had climbed up the hillside in Pittsburgh to pray over the city. You had to actually take a little rail car up the hill to overlook the city. And we sat up there to pray. And I took um, my watercolor pad and I did a watercolor of the city. And he said, can I see that? 
And I said, no, it's not finished yet, and it doesn't look good. I'm not good at this. I just do what I want. And he said, I think you're pretty good at that. You might be wrong. And he said, what did you pray over my city? I said, I prayed that it would have freedom. And he nodded. It was a life-changing encounter for me. It opened my eyes to what God would want to do through our group. If you've ever changed your mind about something big, you know that change can be so uncomfortable. Change can be really uncomfortable. Why? We don't like admitting that we originally had thoughts that might have been wrong. It's hard to admit you're wrong. It's hard to change your mind because you have to humble yourself and reverse what you thought before. And this is true in many areas of our life, and it is especially true of how we view God. Because here's the thing. Most of us have already made up our minds when it comes to what we think or don't think about God. We have already made it up. And you can probably identify with one of these two traits. One of these two categories. You probably are the person who might say, someone else can drive. Maybe you've heard stories about who God is and what he's like. And maybe your parents were believers. Or, or maybe you followed somebody uh, famous who teaches on television. And maybe you formed your opinions because of what they taught you. And you're like, that's good enough for me. They can drive. They've made the decisions for me about faith. I get it. I think that's good enough for me. Check. I'm good. I believe what they believe. Someone else can drive. Somebody else can make that. Besides, I mean, isn't that what pastors and spiritual leaders are for? Isn't that what these people figure out God for you and then tell you what he is and who he's like and what he's done? They've already told you what to think, so just why not go with that? Or maybe you've decided to let your favorite, um, your favorite friend tell you what you believe and you've settled that their view is good enough for you or maybe you've allowed what you inherited for your family of origin to tell you who God is and what he is like. So many times I say, hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And they said, well, I grew up Methodist. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Well, I grew up Catholic, and they don't seem to have made up a decision about God for themselves. If there is a God, I mean, doesn't he just want us to believe what we're told? Isn't that being good? Hmm. Or maybe when it comes to God, you fall into a totally different category. You fall into my favorite category, I'll drive. I'll drive. I will drive. What does this mean? Well, you're completely certain you know what you believe and that it's right. You're convinced and whoever doesn't believe what you believe is crazy and wrong. Period. In fact, you're so certain that your view of God is right, you're not willing to hear any other perspectives. Now, both of these categories are normal. And I'll admit, I've spent time in both of the categories. I've just believed what somebody else had told me. And then I fought so hard for my view of what I thought was right. And either way, there's a danger with both approach. 
It's that you've stopped thinking. It's that you've stopped thinking altogether. Whether you've decided you've got God all figured out or whether you've, uh, whether you've decided to let other people, people figure him out for you, you've just stopped thinking about it. And you're settled in your mind. You've stopped asking questions and you've stopped wondering about God and who he is and what he wants for your life. So whether you're driving or you're uh, letting somebody else drive, you just never think about your view of God. And here's a truth I want you to understand this morning. Your perspective is influencing your direction. Your perspective is influencing your direction. But here's the thing. Just like on any road trip, sometimes you can encounter something in your own personal journey that completely changes your perspective and ultimately your direction. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul, he's one of the most famous Christians in history. And a lot of his fame has to do with what he experienced on an epic road trip. You see, Saul was a man who was zealous for God. He loved God. If you would have met him, he would have told you how much he loved God with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength. He would tell you that he believed every word of the Torah and followed it to a T. He knew what he knew about God. You see, road trips aren't a new thing. But there was no GPS back then. He didn't even have combos, y'all. He had to set out on road trips that would change his life and even change history. And to say that these trips were an adventure is an absolute understatement because along the way, Paul encountered a ton of unexpected moments. And he ended up finally in different countries. He landed in jail. He got trapped on a shipwreck. It was wild, but it all started on a road to Damascus. So, so here's the background before he was a follower of Jesus, he was zealous for the Lord. Before he wrote most of the New Testament, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he called himself. He had it down pat. Saul was highly influential leader. Not only did he have it down pat, he had an entourage with him that were his yes men. He was like, we're going to go to Damascus and we're going to arrest these people who are following a different Jewish way than our Jewish way, and we're going to arrest him and put him into prison. This is what we're going to do. And he was definitely the I'll drive person. I got this. I'll drive. In fact, he drove so hard that he stood while Stephen was killed and stoned by other Jewish leaders and approved of what they were doing to Stephen, a Christian. He'll drive. But then something else began to happen. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue to Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay? So clearly he was a bad guy now. Clearly he had issues. But he didn't think he was. He thought he was an expert religious person, an influential leader when it came to following God, and he was convinced that Jesus' followers were wrong and dangerous. 
So with that mindset, Saul set out on a road trip to Damascus, determined to punish any Jesus follower he found along the way. But instead of a smooth journey, he encountered something that would completely and unexpectedly change everything. He actually met someone. He met Jesus. It says, as they neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light came from heaven, flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The man who knew God better than anybody said, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the response came, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city and you will be told what you must do. That's unexpected. You're out murdering folks, putting them in jail. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and says, yo, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing, bro? Saul gets stopped and he literally hears the voice of God. And formerly dead, buried, Jesus is talking to him in the flesh. My God, I wish some of you would have an experience like this so you would wake up and get out of the dead things you are walking in. I wish some of you would encounter Jesus like that and I believe you can this morning if you would just but open your ears and listen to what God is saying to you. He wants to do something unexpected in your life. And you come here and you sit every week waiting and God is saying, today, if you would just open up. Today, if you would stop playing games. Today, if you would act like that this isn't important and start realizing how important this is, could be your day. Wake up. Mind blown when we encounter Jesus. When you encounter Jesus like that, things change pretty fast. You realize you are living and breathing in a way that is counter to what Jesus is living and breathing. And your whole understanding of God and humanity is way off. Some of you need to know that the way you've been living is way off today. Some of you have been acting like it's not way off, that it's the way of God, but it's way off, I'm here to tell you. Saul had to rethink everything he had assumed about Jesus and the men traveling with Saul, it goes on to say, stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hands into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat and did not drink anything. You see, after this encounter, Saul is blind and has to be helped to town. The Bible tells us that Saul is so disturbed by this whole experience that he didn't eat or drink anything at all. When you're on a road trip and you stop eating and drinking, something wrong happened, right? Saul can't see. He won't eat or drink. And now he has a lot of time on his hands to think about what just happened to him and what that meant for him and his view of God. Now, we don't exactly know what Saul was thinking during those days, but we do know what happened next. We do know that God spoke to a man named Ananias. And Ananias went to Saul, scared out of his mind. He said, God, did you know that this guy is killing other Christians? 
And God was like, yes, I want you to go anyway. And he's like, okay, just so we're clear, this is the guy that has been killing my brothers and sisters. And God's like, totes my goats, go ahead and go. I got you, right? So Ananias goes and Saul regains his sight and is baptized. The exact opposite of what he was doing before is about to change I don't know if you know this, but everything changed for Saul, turned to Paul. He had to change his mind about God first, and that changed his direction. Some of you need to change your mind about Jesus Christ. Some of you need to stop living in what your mom and daddy taught you about Jesus Christ. Some of you need to step away from what the church has taught you about Jesus Christ. And some of you need to find what Jesus really is and who he is and what he means to you. It's time to stop letting the past cloud your present future so that you can really, really see who Jesus is because he wants you to know him. And I mean really, really know him. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in you. I want you to lay hands on people and heal them. I want you to walk in freedom all the days of your life. I want every song that we sing to reach down in your soul and burst out of you and you scream and shout and act crazy like me. Yes, I do. You say, that's not me. I'm fine with that. I want to see God do it to you anyway. Because it's amazing. But he doesn't always act like that, does he? He usually gets our attention through very normal situations. Maybe he'll get your attention through the voice of a trusted friend or a small group leader. Or maybe it'll be through a different circumstance that leads you to turn in his direction. Or maybe it will be through the Bible verse that you stumble on and changes what you think about something. You see, ultimately, God wants you to know him more and more and more. And part of knowing him more may include adjusting what you thought about him before. In other words, as you get to know God, you have to be ready to rethink. You have to be ready to change your mind. You have to be ready to accept that what you've always believed might not be the truth. He had to eventually change how he viewed God and his former perspectives could no longer shape his life. Paul's life was never, ever the same after he encountered Jesus. Can I ask you a question? If you're in this room and you've encountered Jesus, but nothing's changed, you might need to rethink that. Because I'm telling you, when I encountered Jesus, Everything changed. I was not the same. And when Alfie encountered Jesus, I got a front row seat to a big change. And I have watched many of you change and turn. Now it can be tempting to think that God's highest priority for us is that we have everything right. That we have perfect knowledge of him and all of the answers and all the right information and we are 100% confident in what we think. We might think that that's God's highest goal for us. We might think 
And I have encountered people like this that everyone else who doesn't go to their church, who isn't part of their denomination, who doesn't read the same version of the Bible that they do, who doesn't wear a long dress or have a head covering, who doesn't believe exactly the way they do, are absolutely wrong. And they've got it all right and figured out. Let me just reassure you that we here at Hope Church, while we, yes, are Wesleyan, and while we, yes, agree with Protestantism, we believe in the big church, big C church, and this is not a competition, buddy. I don't compete against Stein Highway Church of God. That's not what I'm here for. I don't compete against the Catholic Church down the street. That's not what we're here for. We're here to tell people that Jesus loves them and he wants them to know him in the power of the resurrection so he can hold them in the fellowship of suffering. That's why we exist. And we don't have it all right. And that's okay. And that's okay. I want you to think about how Saul treats, Jesus treats Saul when Saul has the wrong information and faulty answers. What does Jesus do when somebody is killing his people? What would you do? You would strike them dead. You want them beat up. You want them at least thrown in jail. You want them to pay. But Jesus wasn't angry he simply showed up and said, here I am. Here I am. And he said, there's a new way and I need you to take a different direction. I love what Jesus asked Paul. Jesus asked Paul, why, why do you persecute me? He questions Paul's motives. What are your motives? Why do you follow? Why do you persecute me? One of the ways that we can know God is an answer to a version of this question for ourselves. Ask yourself, why do I treat people the way I do? Why do I want to know God better? Why do I show up on a Sunday morning? Why? What's your motive? Because when you can get the right motive, you will be on the right track to knowing God like never before. Because he wants to show himself to you. And I want you to notice that in this question, we also see that Jesus equated Saul's treatment of the people of the way with treating Jesus in that same way. He doesn't say, Paul, Saul, why are you killing people. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting people? He doesn't say, why are you beating my people up? Why are you throwing them in jail? No, he says, why are you doing it to me? Can I tell you that if you're in here and you've been suffering, Jesus sees your suffering as his own. Jesus sees what you're going through and he says, why are they doing that to me? It's the fellowship of suffering. He sees what you're going through. He knows how you're hurting. And he feels it. And he will do something about it. He is not a dead God. He is fully alive and present in your life. And he has a plan for you. Don't give 
up yet. Eventually, Saul becomes Paul, and he changes his name, and it changes his life. And it all began when he changed his mind. And maybe that's why Paul later wrote these words in Romans. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to renew except to take what is old and antiquated and turn it into a newer version? To understand something in a new way, in a better way. Anytime you get to know someone, you're constantly adjusting your view of them. You are updating, discovering, renewing, understanding, and learning. And it's true about your spouse, and it's true about your kids, and it's true about your coworkers, and your students, and your friends. And it's also true about God. So as you get to know him, please be ready to think and rethink I'm telling you that this journey is never ending. And can I tell you that in eternity, it says in the book of Revelations that the angels encircle the throne and they cry, holy, holy. Do you know why? Because every time they turn, they see a new facet of our God. Every time they spin around, they see something about God that they didn't see before. And all they can cry is, holy, He's amazing and he's wonderful and he's powerful and he wants to live in you and with you. But you've got to grow in how you see God. So the first thing I want you to do is this, be open. Maybe you thought this whole faith thing wasn't for you. And maybe you've been rethinking that lately and we want you to know it's okay to change your mind. Just because you've always believed something doesn't mean you have to keep on believing it. Just because you've told people you think a certain way doesn't mean you have to uh, keep thinking that way forever. Let him renew and change your mind. And in fact, you can just pray and ask him to help you to do just that. <coughs> Early in our marriage, I thought I knew what Alfie wanted from me as a wife had it figured out. I would project onto him my expectations of his requirements of me. I thought for me to be a good wife would mean I should emphasize cooking gourmet meals and having a spotless home and staying in budget with our finances and performing like I thought he wanted me to perform. Through many long conversations of getting to know him better, I realized that those things weren't what he wanted from me at all. I remember one night he said to me, can we just have like a sandwich for dinner? Just like a sandwich? Is that cool? Can we just have a sandwich? And I was like, oh, you're, you're okay with that? And he was like, yeah, I really kind of want a grilled cheese. And I was like, oh, okay. You see, he wanted real connection and honest conversations that led not to a better performance from me, but to better intimacy with me. Can I tell you that when I stopped thinking that Alfie wanted me to perform a certain way and actually asked him what he wanted from me, everything changed. And I no longer performed 
And this led me to rethink my performance mentality with Jesus. How much of the way I was operating was performing to satisfy what I thought God wanted. What I thought he required of me. What followed was me pursuing and still pursuing genuine response to an earnest seeking after what God actually wants from me and not just what I think he wants from me. That means you have to ask and stop making assumptions. That means you have to pursue and pursue and keep pursuing. God doesn't want you to perform he wants you loved, cherished, held. So this leads me to the second way to grow in how you see God, and that's to ask questions. I love that God wants us to ask questions of him. Whether you feel like you have no answers about God at all, or whether you think you have this whole faith thing figured out, don't quit pursuing God. Be willing to ask hard questions. Faith does not require you to turn off your mind. As a matter of fact, God made your brain so you can use all of it to understand the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. Use your noodle, guys. It's okay to think about what you believe. It's okay to process what's in the Bible. And this is just as true if you've been a Christian forever. You still need to use your mind to get to know him better. You will still turn a page and find out that there is so much more. Finally, third, study Jesus. When Paul met Jesus, he began to understand in a whole new way what God's like. Everything changed for him. But for three years, Paul went away into the wilderness and had to study Jesus. Y'all, he didn't come out preaching and teaching. He went away for three years. In Galatians 1, 17 through 18, it says that he went away before he ever went to Jerusalem to present himself to the apostles. He had to go figure out some stuff for himself. He had to say, I need to know Jesus. I need to understand this person I encountered on the road to Damascus. And the same is true for you and me. When you aren't sure what to think about faith or where to start, look at the life of Jesus. He is the best way to get to know God. So when you hear something about God that makes you question, study Jesus. See if it lines up with how Jesus lived, how Jesus spoke about people. Listen, when you read the letters from Paul, you see a progression in his faith. He grew in knowledge every letter he wrote. It's amazing. Paul changed his mind, and you can change your mind too. So listen, part of growing in any area of life is making informed decisions about what you believe, your faith included. So as you head out today, I want you to ask yourself this one thing. What can I do to know God better? What can I do today to know God better? Maybe for you, it's finally making the space to quiet yourself and pray. Maybe it's finally asking your partner, hey, can you take the kids? Because I just need 
20 minutes to actually hear from God and then follow up and do it. Follow up and do it. If you would just close your eyes and settle your hearts for a minute, I want to begin to ask you some questions. Because as you get to know him more, you'll find him renewing your mind and reshaping how you see him, how you see yourself, and how you see everyone else. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're here in this place and you would like to know God better, would you just let me know by raising your hand? If you want to know God better this morning, if that's you, I want to pray over you. I want to know God better. I want to know him more. Father God, I pray that you would reveal yourself today. I pray, God, that you would help us to know you better. Come, Spirit, rest on us. Move in our lives. Help us to shake away anything that we've carried into this relationship that isn't true about you. Help us to shake off any lies that we've been told about who you are. Help us to rethink you. Father, if there's anybody in this place and anybody listening later or online that says, I need to know him first of all. I've never said yes to Jesus, but today something has just made sense to me. And I want to start a relationship. If that's you, you can text that's me to 94000 or you can scan the QR code on the screen. And all that's going to do is send you a text and ask you for your name and your phone number. But this morning, if you would just say these words with me, Jesus, today, I want to know you better. Jesus, today, I want to know you better. Would you come... Would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me what I need to change? Would you show me what needs to be broken in my life? And would you make it new? Some of you in this place made a commitment to Jesus and you made progress, but some of you keep returning to the same sin that kept you bound in the first place. And some of you need to recommit and say, today, Today I recommit and I say, I'm not going back to that sin. I'm not going back to the way I was. I'm going to be renewed today. If that's you, I want you to text, I'm back to 94,000 and then pray with me. Say, Jesus, I'm back. God, I'm coming back to you. I'm tired of letting that sin control me. I'm tired of letting the desires of my flesh and this world corrupt my relationship with you, I want a pure connection to you. Father, would you help us all to make these decisions? Would you help us to be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can be made new? Help us to rethink all of the things that we've been taught that aren't in line with truth. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday, 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.